I'm Jill Rowe. This is part one of a special two-parter where Steve Chalk chats about his book, The Lost Message of Paul, with David Bailey. They get serious with some big questions about what it was that St Paul had to say and how his words and writings have been interpreted and understood and the impact they have had on those who find themselves often left standing alone at the margins. This episode was recorded back in 2019. Hi, I'm David, and um, it's great to be with Steve. Steve's just written a new book called The Lost Message of Paul. It's a a great read. It raises some huge questions and gets us to think. So, um, Steve, this time, did you mean to be controversial? I didn't mean to be controversial. I realised that the questions I'd had to ask for myself were controversial ones because they were controversial ones to me when I first encountered them. But I feel that I'm in a world where I'm leading a church in central London, I'm leading an organisation, Christ-centred, a Christian organisation that works around the country in education and in healthcare and in housing, working alongside vulnerable people, building communities, working in multi-ethnic communities and multi-faith communities. Mm. And all of that, pushes you, I think, if you're really committed to living this lifestyle, Mm. which has Jesus teaching at the centre, to ask some questions that I wasn't finding answers to. Sure, sure. So it's controversial in that sense. Yes, yeah. Okay, thank you. So tell us about the big idea. You make some bold claims. What's if you could sum it up in a few sentences, what's the kind of crux of your well, argument? Well, in, in a few sentences, okay. um, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus and Jesus told people to love one another mm-hmm. as they love themselves and to love God. And it's a silly thing to say, and that's all pretty simple mm. because the truth is it's all very hard, <laughs> but it's simple to get your head round yeah. what the cult yeah. is and to try to live along that pathway. Mm. But I grew up in churches and we used to read Paul sometimes in Bible studies I was in and prayer meetings I was in. And occasionally we were unfortunate enough for the minister to announce and we're going to do a series on Romans. And I remember, you know, dying at that point every time because I'd read Romans and it was long and it was dense and it was complicated and it wasn't very fun, Mm. uh, to be honest. And it seemed to be anti most things. Or perhaps it was just the way I was taught it. But I had this view that Paul, the great apostle, was anti-sex for a start, anti-women, anti-marriage, anti-divorce, and the list goes on and on, doesn't it? Kind of misogynistic, et cetera, et cetera. And and I realised that his teaching, which is a giant part of the New Testament, a big section of the New Testament has bred fear into the hearts of most, very many people. I shouldn't Mm. say most people, very many people. Mm. Fear or panic Mm. or both. So I realised that whilst Jesus teaches this way of love, lots of people stumble over the epistles of Paul, Paul's teaching. And I can't just dismantle them and do away with them. Mm -hmm. I have friends who say, I never read Paul. But for me, you're either dealing with the whole Bible the whole library Mm -hmm. of these texts that have been sacred to the church, or you've got to throw the whole thing in the bin. Mm. You can't pick and choose. Sure, sure. So you have this kind of big idea in the book about because we're human, we're included 
into kind of God's story and God's covenant. And um, so can you say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so so there's two reasons, I suppose, the writing of this book arose. Mm. The first is, as I've just said, I'm, I spend my life working with people. Mm. I love people. Mm. I really love people. Perhaps I've grown to love people more because I work with sure. people. But I really, really care about people. Mm. I'm not place-orientated. Yeah. Um, I, I just like being with people wherever that is. So here I am. I'm working in multi-ethnic situations. Oasis runs schools mm. in heavily, heavily dominant Muslim communities, mm. for instance. We employ lots of Muslim people, mm. Sikh people, Hindu people. Mm. We work with people of, of all sorts of races mm. who are way beyond the church, you know, white working class people who have no connection with mm. churches at all and just don't understand what churches are mm. about. Mm. I've had the fortune of working in TV over the years and I remember one day a really good friend of mine, his name uh, was Billy, sadly he died just a few years ago and he was a floor manager mm. at ITV. And I remember Billy saying to me one day, because everybody knew I was a minister, mm. a Baptist mm. minister, I remember Billy saying to me one day, Steve, I like you, but do you know, I've got enough problems in life already without Christianity. Mm. I don't need Christianity. Mm. Mm. I've remembered that all those years because he was being honest. Yeah, yeah. And so here I am... I'm part of the church. I'm a leader of a local yep. church. So that forces me to grapple with these issues. Is God really going to reject these wonderful people mm -hmm. that I love? Mm -hmm. Is my love for people greater than God's love? Mm -hmm. Which I can't believe it is. <laughs> well, then that forces me to, to look harder at yeah. the text of the New yeah. Testament. Yeah. Um, then, theologically, if I believe that God is love, yeah. then... Well, I'm a dad and I'm now a grandfather yeah. as well. I love my children. Yeah. I really love my children. I'm not the best dad in the world. I'm really flawed and all the rest of it. But my desire is to love my children mm. and never to um, penalise them or get in their way mm. Or, mm. or in any sense hold them back from mm. their true mm. absolute fulfilment. Mm. Mm. So how can I believe in a God who is love when I'm just, tinkering with trying to love, sure. who says, I love you, but in the end, if you upset me, <laughs> you've had it. Mm. Mm. I'll separate from you. Mm. If you choose in this life not to believe in me, not to walk my way, or if you can't believe in mm. me, then actually I'm afraid the penalty is death. Mm. But not just death, eternal conscious torment. Mm. That's what I'm going to inflict on mm. you. Mm. So theologically and practically... Mm. I'm driven to think about these issues. Sure. But think about them in the context of the whole Bible. I'm not at liberty to throw verses out the Bible I don't like or books. Sure. And, you know, one of the things, I, you know, I'm, I guess you're very well aware as well because you know more about theology than I do. This great Protestant leader, mm. Martin Luther, mm. Mm. the father of the Reformation, sure. he says, I don't like the book of James. Yeah, a right thorny so a right, epistle. Exactly. So let's lob it <laughs> so, out. Let's yeah. try and get rid of it. Yeah. He tried to reject yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. I think that's no disregard for Luther, but that is unbelievable. Mm. That someone should come along and say, there's a bit of the Bible that doesn't fit with my theory, mm. so I think I'll drop it. Sure. 
Sure. Fortunately, it was. It's still in. It's still in, though, in Lutheran's, but yeah, Lutheran yeah. Bibles, yeah. as I'm sure you know, all these yeah. books that he didn't like because yeah. there were others have been pushed to the end. Yeah. So you, your kind of big argument here is is about everyone's in, included. Yes. Yeah. Is, would you say that's a fair summary that's of the, the so I might not be doing you justice. No. Here, no. I think <laughs> a fair summary of the book, uh, I, as I, I say, I think you can sum Paul up in a phrase. Mm. A sentence, as you can any great leader. Mm -hmm. Do you know Martin Luther King? Mm. I have a dream Mm -hmm. that everyone, whatever the colour of their skin, Mm. will be included. Mm -hmm. He said he made endless sermons and endless speeches and wrote books Mm. and letters from prisons, Mm. etc., etc., etc. But that was the heart of his message. So what was the heart of Paul's message? I think that the heart of Paul's message is you're in, Mm. you're loved by God, Mm. you're always in. Sure. Because Christ is... The reconciler okay. of all. Okay. Now live like it. Okay. Live yeah. like it. Live in sync with what's already true. Sure, sure. So we're going to come on to to because you use that term, kind of Jesus, the reconciler. It, it you know towards the end of the book. So we'll mm. we'll come back to that um, in a minute. But you talked there a little bit about what's pulled you to the these kind of towards these conclusions. Where have you drawn your theology from? What's kind of um, you've talked yeah. about your practice and you've talked mm. about Luther, but you don't draw your th- critical of Luther, mm. which is fair enough. But mm. I think where are you? Uh, where have you drawn your theology from? What's your uh, your well, inspiration? Okay, so. so what happens is, um, to me, is I sit down and I think I love this person. I can't believe that just because they can't believe in God, mm. or because on the other side of the world. They were born in Borneo and not mm, Bournemouth. Mm, 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 um, mm. That they're excluded because mm. they're not a member of their local parish church. Mm, but this mm. is a great person. Mm. So I can't believe those things. But I realise that, do you know, I've got to grapple with what the Bible really says, mm. which means grappling with it theologically. Yeah. Um, I think that there are very many Christian books that are written, mm. which are mostly stories. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of th- theology mm-hmm. thinly applied, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they they're popular mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they are popularist. Mm-hmm. And then there are theology books which are mostly theology with a mm-hmm. little bit of illustration mm-hmm. thinly applied, mm-hmm. and nobody reads those. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so some of us might, but they are hard going. Yeah. <laughs> they are hard going, and 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 most people ignore them. Mm-hmm. So I realised that if I was going to grapple with these questions, it's no good writing down what I think ought to be true. Mm-hmm. I've got to actually grapple with what the Bible says, which drove me back into theology. So the theologians I um, have uh, become dependent Mm. on in this book are numerous, too numerous Mm. to mention. Mm. But what I decided was I wanted to write a popular book at Mm -hmm. one level Mm -hmm. that anyone could read. I don't ever pull that off. (laughs) But in the footnotes, and there are over 300 footnotes, Mm. grapple with the theological questions. So when I state something and people go, well, that'd be lovely if that was true, or I don't agree with that, there's a footnote guiding them to the theologians that have put this thinking forward. One of the things I say at the start of the book is that pretty well nothing in it is my original thought. Mm-hmm. This is plagiarism <laughs> on a giant scale. <laughs> I've mixed everything. And all I bring to it is I've tried to put the words of great theologians mm-hmm. and thinkers mm-hmm. and scholars mm-hmm. into simple language and simple words and thread it together so that it makes sense to be Sure, sure. So you draw your theology in, in part from the new perspective on Paul or, or, mm-hmm. or 
as what you, gets as, called that. Yeah, yeah and, and or as you say, new perspectives. Mm. Um, so tell us a little bit about how you see some of those. Well, tell us how you understand that, first of yeah. all, because people yeah. may, may not have come across that term. No, well, the term so, the new perspective on Paul is a, is a strange one, isn't mm. it? And then the new perspectives on mm. Paul, all that actually means is that New Testament theology, our understanding of the Bible, in other words, mm. is constantly advancing. Mm -hmm. It's constantly growing. If you want evidence or proof of that, pick up a new international version mm. that was printed in the 80s or 90s mm. and then look online at the latest version mm. from the 2000s. And though it's all called the new international version, and I'm picking on that version for yep. no reason at all, could do it with others, you'll see, you'll instantly see that it's been updated, mm. it's different, mm. it's growing. Mm. And the reason for that is simply that our scholarship is getting mm. better and better and better mm. all the time. And the reason it's getting better, of course, is that uh, quite literally archaeologists are digging up new evidence about the Greek language and mm. the cultural context into which Jesus lived and Paul wrote, mm. etc. all the time. Mm. We are digging up Corinth. We're literally <laughs> digging it up. And so we're going, oh, that's what Paul meant. We're digging up manuscripts, hundreds of copies, mm. as you know, thousands mm. of copies of manuscripts that have been well kept. And we're going, ah, well, that word is used here, here, here mm. and here. And we always thought when Paul used it in the New Testament, it must mean this. But mm. now we see it means something deeper or mm. bigger. Mm. Or you get the cultural context mm. of the word. Take the term lady killer mm. in our language. Mm. Now, what does lady killer mean? <laughs> I put it to you, it means two completely opposite things. Mm. Taken literally, it means a killer of ladies. Mm. And taken metaphorically, it means a really good-looking guy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the point is, you read lady killer and you think it means a lady, mm. a murderer of ladies, yeah. until you read other literature, sure. you dig out other literature and go, oh, they use it metaphorically to mean the opposite. Mm. So you come to Paul again and you say, ah, that now makes a whole mm. lot more sense than it used to to mm. me. Mm. So all of this has led to what we call the new perspective on Paul, which began in the 1960s, mm. really. And then a very famous book was written in the 1970s by an Oxford professor mm. called Ed Sanders. Mm -hmm. And um, he wrote a book called Paul and Palestinian yep. Judaism. And he said, in the light of what we now understand of Palestinian Judaism, mm. in other words, the faith that was practiced mm. by mm. Jews in the first century uh, when Paul lived, mm. in the light of what we know because of the Dead Sea Scrolls mm. and mm. what we've discovered from them and all sorts mm. of other documents mm. that we've excavated mm. and the way they've been analysed by linguists and social historians and people interested in political history and economic history, History, et cetera, et cetera, anthropologists, psychologists. We now understand this is what Paul was saying. Mm. And so Ed Sanders said, we've misunderstood Paul. And he said Luther misunderstood and Paul and John Calvin misunderstood mm. Paul. And, the 20, and all those who built Protestantism on yeah. them yeah. and the common gospel of most 
evangelical churches or yeah. Protestant churches wider mm. in the 20th century, what was taken for granted mm -hmm. as the content of the gospel mm -hmm. actually is a misunderstanding. Sure. So sure. that's called the new perspective on Paul. And one last thing, yeah. um, it's worth saying that, that, that there's, of all these scholars who are in the new perspective mm -hmm. on Paul, the one that lots of people in churches have heard of mm. is N.T. Wright, Tom yeah. Wright. Yeah, yeah. Tom Wright was a student in Ed Sanders' class. <laughs> Although he does disagree with him, doesn't he? At some yeah, point. He, he does disagree, but where he does agree is on the on the importance of the context and rediscovery and, you know, the, the, and, and that we our reading of Paul has been distorted by the reformers and particularly Indeed. by Luther. And that's so, where your phrase, new perspectives mm, on Paul, mm, comes mm, in because there are many new perspective mm, thinkers, Tom being one of mm, them, but many, many others. Yeah. And they all tend to agree and disagree. They all have their own insights. Yeah. Because, of course, theology, like every other science, is advancing. Mm. And it advances through discussion, which yeah. should always be gracious. Yeah, but it advances through discussion. <laughs> yeah. so, so Tom and others, they're the first to point out there are many new perspectives because yeah. we're learning. Yeah. I hope I've added to that conversation. Yeah. That's yeah. all. So, Steve, you said that um, Tom was a, a student of uh, of Ed Sanders, but um, Tom actually disagrees with quite a lot of what Sanders writes about, is, doesn't he? Um, but there was another scholar, Dunn, who builds on what Sanders says, but also disagrees with him. So Sanders thinks one thing, Dunn thinks another, um, Tom thinks another. Yes. All about Paul. How, how do you kind of wrestle with all those kinds well, of things? Well, that's where the, the term new perspectives comes in, because Jimmy uh, Dunn mm. was also a student in the same classroom. <laughs> so they're carrying away the work of this great master, mm. um, Ed, Ed Sanders. They have their disagreements, but I think both James Dunn and Tom Wright would say that their work is built on Ed Sanders' mm. work. In mm. fact, I think it's true to say that all writing about Paul mm. since um, that famous book mm. that Sanders mm. wrote mm. is in reaction and response to mm. it. Mm. It was like, I say in my book, it was like a, an atom bomb mm. dropped mm. into mm. New Testament studies and mm. everybody's responding to yeah. it yeah, because yeah. they agree about a lot and then they disagree yeah. about yeah. some things. Yeah. And so Tom, Tom Wright, of course, agrees fundamentally with the central tenant mm. uh, of, um, of Sanders' work that Luther misunderstood mm. Paul mm. because he assumed that Paul, the first century apostle, mm. was mm. a 16th century reformer mm. who had it in for the Jews mm. in the same way as he had it in for the Catholic Church. Mm. So that distorted well, did, he, did he have it in for the Catholic Church or was he trying to reform the Catholic Church? I think he was trying to reform it mm. to start with, but... Definitely not at the end. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, Tom uh, Tom says about Sanders that he gets a bit confused. Sanders is his own thinking between religions because he's looking at the Jewish religion and then theology. So Sanders isn't too clear on things like justification and that that kind of thing. How do you? I would. I'd like to say I don't think Tom's <laughs> clear himself. I think he ducks and dives. Okay. Okay. Yeah. We we we'll come on to that in, in a minute. So, uh, where do you land on, on all of this kind of stuff? What, what's your contribution to that 
discussion. And do you agree with any of those more than others, or do you disagree oh, yeah, with all no, of them? No, or? no, I don't. I, so, I, I say in the first chapter of my book, actually, I just want to contribute to the conversation yeah, that's yeah. going on. And I think, if anything, my contribution to the conversation is more about the bringing of this conversation that, mm. as you're saying, has been going on for 50 mm. years mm. in academic circles. Mm. It's mm. been going on in um, senior common rooms mm. of, of great uh, universities mm. around the country. Mm. I want to bring it to into churches. Mm. Um, I want to bring it to ordinary people because mm. I think they're left bereft. Yeah. They don't know these guys are talking yeah. about yeah. all of this stuff. Yeah. And we're still singing hymns and practising <laughs> verses that everybody would agree mm. are just way, way away from yeah. what Paul was talking yeah. about. Yeah. So um, so that's that's my contribution. Yeah. I also think that a contribution, there are only contributions. Sure. Sure. I honour everyone, I hope. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I honour what Luther did, what Calvin yeah. did. Yeah. I disagree with them, sure. but I honour what they yeah. brought. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying they weren't Christians yeah. or whatever, yeah. not at all. Yeah. We're all part of an ongoing yeah. intergenerational discussion, yes. conversation. Yes. Uh, as we seek after Jesus. I think the other thing that I bring, which is probably more unique, is I lead an organisation that works uh, in various countries and continents around the world and employs thousands and thousands and thousands of people and works with tens and tens and tens of thousands of young people and families. In fact, I was um, speaking at something earlier today and I asked for a figure because I was asked to give it about how many people we work with on a daily basis in the UK. And I'm told by the guys who added up (laughs) the numbers for me, so I hope it was right, (laughs) we work on a daily basis with 86,000 people. Right. If you're going to round it to this, you know, yeah, that, yeah, that was gosh. their conservative yes. estimate. Today yeah. and every day, wow. we work with at least 86,000 mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. That's young and old mm-hmm. and rich and poor mm-hmm. and from all sorts of backgrounds and ethnicities and those who would claim that they were Christians mm-hmm. and those who would say they're definitely not, etc., mm-hmm. etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, And my job is to steer and help lead an organisation mm-hmm. that works compassionately with mm-hmm. all these people and work through all the big issues of mm. what leadership means and mm. what organisational mm. structures mm. are mm. like that do not work in human mm. in inhuman ways. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. care for each individual. Yes. And yeah. I think that brings its own challenges and its yeah. own theological questions. Absolutely. So you not only write about that, but you embody that in what you do. I every try day. to. Yeah. Well, no, I've you got do. To. I've seen it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, but you, just as you um, will have been critiqued for this book, mm. Tom Wright is critiqued for his new perspective, mm. and he gets a hard time from those who mm. still think that Luther was right. So yes. it opens sure. up that conversation. Yeah. So. Within that, you do make some quite bold claims uh, in the book. So um, let's just kind of wrestle with some of those. I would say the first thing I did, actually, is I wrote to Tom, who's my friend, and I told him I was writing this book and publishing Mm -hmm. it, et cetera, et cetera. Tom's my friend, you know. So this is a discussion amongst friends. Absolutely, Not a mudslinging exercise. No, and I think that's really important, isn't it? That sense of... Uh, disagreement mm. when we may have different theological yeah. viewpoints that we are brothers and sisters yeah. <laughs> in, yeah. in Christ. Yeah. So, um, I believe God loves everyone. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah absolutely. So it's very hard for me to... Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, but we should have that good... Yeah. Dis- we should be able to sit around mm. a table and, and say, actually, I don't quite agree with you, 
but you're still my friend. So here's here's a um, you do as I say you do raise some quite bold kind of questions in the book. So what does your book say about the kind of place of sin in our lives? Uh, what does it say about God's judgment and wrath? Um, and what does the book say about uh, hell. So mm. they're huge subjects no, in themselves. We, we, could, we could go <laughs> on all day. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Let's split it up. <laughs> so um, what does, what's the place of sin or how do you understand sin in your kind of th- mm. theology? Yeah. Well, funnily enough, when I was a, a kid, I, was, I used to go to Sunday school, Sunday mm. afternoon Sunday mm. school, and they used to say, sin is missing the mark. Yeah, you know. yeah, I remember. Yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, and, boy, am I yeah, <laughs> in trouble? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, in actual fact, I, I think that's exactly what it is. There's one of the things I learned, which I think is that bang on, <laughs> you know. Uh, and of course, uh, I don't know if you know, in archery, if you shoot an arrow in archery and it falls short, mm. uh, you know, you go down the archery club. Yeah. They call it sinning. Yeah. You've missed the mark. Yeah. You've missed the mark. So. That was understood that way outside the church mm. in, in terms of Greek philosophy, mm. et cetera, et cetera. You were missing the mark. Mm. You were missing the mark. And so I think that if you ask me about sin in my life, it's when I miss the mark. Mm. It's when I miss the mark as a dad or a husband or mm. a, a friend. It's mm. when I miss the mark in the way I respond to others mm. and, and it's when I'm self-centred instead mm. of other-centred. Mm. I'm missing the mark all the time. Mm. So I think that that's uh, the what the Bible terms as sin, Mm. missing the mark. Mm. Mm. I think probably your question is much more not about us missing the mark, but God's reaction or response Mm. to Mm. us missing the mark. Mm. Mm. And uh, I think that what various theologians, and uh, in my book I say particularly John Calvin, Mm. who was a brilliant lawyer, Mm. I mean, Mm. you know, absolutely brilliant lawyer. I don't think he would have been much fun to spend an evening with down the pub. But I think he was a, you know, was a cold lawyer, do you know? Um, I think that he made, what right have I got to say he made a mistake? But I do. I think he got, I think he got God muddled up with the cold but fair judges mm. that he'd watched sitting on a bench. Mm. Mm. And Jesus said, when you pray, say, our father. Mm. And I think Luther mistook God for our judge. Right. And I think a lot of problems came from that. Mm. I think Calvin, there's huge bits of what he said that I absolutely agree with. Mm. Mm. But I think that his cold-heartedness led him, or his cold logic, that's what I should say mm. more accurately, mm. led him to a place where because he believed God was in charge, mm. the sovereignty of God yeah. is right at the heart mm-hmm. of everything he mm-hmm. says, and then he believed that you could only be saved through faith, then he had to say, well, if God's in charge and only some people have faith, it must be because God doesn't give some people faith. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't give them faith, then they are destined, they're not elect, they're mm. not chosen. Mm-hmm. And... That's hard and it's cold, but it's fair. Mm, mm. And I think in that, he's caused a, his teaching has caused a huge amount of misery yeah. in endless millions of people's lives. Sure. So I think I think maybe just to help there, I think those who followed Calvin took mm. his ideas and it kind of mm. pushed them to further than Calvin may have done himself because when you read Calvin's Institute mm. predestination follows mm. uh, grace <laughs> mm. when when in, great... in, in when when in in kind of 
logical thought it should precede it if he mm. say that yeah. was the kind of where yeah. he ended up yeah uh, um, and but it's those who followed after calvin who yeah. pushed his ideas and that we get that yeah. well, stuff. And, do you know even in the in terms of saying the institutes depends mm. which version you're reading. Uh, that, that's true you know, yes yeah no, that is thought true. developed yeah, 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 uh, yeah, you yeah, know yeah, yeah, yeah. but the point the point is this because well don't want to get too technical mm. i'm sure that if anyone's listening to us, they will they will know only too well mm. that the dilemma that they have when mm. a brother or a sister or a mum or a dad mm. or the next door neighbour says, mm. I just can't believe in God like you. I wish mm. I could, but I can't. And the heart, the heaviness in their hearts, because on one hand, they've come to believe that if you can't have faith, that's because God's not given you faith mm. and therefore you're not one of the elect and therefore you're mm. doomed. Mm. And on the other hand, everything in human inside them says this can't be true. Mm, mm. And I do think Calvin's let off the hook, to mm, be honest, mm, mm. because I le- I know that line about his f- followers mm, develop mm, this in mm, the second generation. Mm. In fact, I say it because mm. I want to be kind to mm. him. But they only picked up on his thought, mm, mm. and he was a very logical thinker, mm. so he knew darn well what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what I think is the problem with theology, you see. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. we don't name the thing. Mm, we all... Mm, yeah. It was unkind. Mm-hmm. And there were passages in his writings mm-hmm. and in his sermons mm-hmm. which condemn endless people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you know, mm-hmm. David, the mm-hmm. endless stories of mm-hmm. guilt yeah. from the times yeah, that yeah. were induced into people who felt that they were mm-hmm. beyond salvation mm-hmm. and were barred from church mm-hmm. membership. Yeah. 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 That's terrible. Yeah. No, it absolutely is. Um, so how, how would you say God reacts to sin? I think God is a father. Mm. Jesus said, mm. when you pray, say our Father. Mm. Mm. It's, it's simple. And the New Testament defines God as love. Mm. It's probably the most profound theological mm. statement ever uttered. Mm. God is love. Mm. God's not, love isn't part of God's character. It's mm. not some attribute mm. that God has. It is the divine essence. Mm. God is love. Mm. Now, back to being a father, Mm. you know, which I'm fortunate to be, I know that through the years of my kids growing up, sometimes I got angry with Mm. them Mm. outside of my love. Mm. Mm. I always regretted it. Mm. I know you're a dad and Mm. I'm sure it's the same thing as two people. You know, so you always regret it. If your anger gets the best of you Mm. outside of the context of your Mm. love, you're left wishing you hadn't behaved mm. or spoken like mm. that, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. God is love. Mm. So his anger, his anger, as another great theologian said, Karl Barth, mm. is only ever a dimension of his love. Mm. To speak of God's anger or God's uh, judgment mm-hmm. or God's righteousness mm-hmm. or any of those other terms, mm. said uh, Barth, outside the context of yeah. God's love is to misunderstand yeah. them. Yeah. So would you, using picking up that analogy of, of missing the mark, I think you're saying that although we miss the mark, God includes us yeah, and just loves like us. any, just so. I, I would say, just like any father, that sounds flippant. Mm. And sadly, that's not everyone's experience sure. of being fathered. Sure. But every father mm. or mother mm. who's other centered, their goal is never to destroy their mm. child. Mm. They never say, well, you know, I've given you time, but you keep rejecting me, mm. so I'm afraid that's mm. it. Mm. Their desire is always redemptive. Mm. It's always mm. to build up. It's mm. always to strengthen. Mm. And it's always regretful when it mm. fails to be that. God is love. 
Jesus says, God is your heavenly parent. Mm. So God's intention is always to build us, never mm. to destroy us. Mm. But I think the church has got into this place where it says God is love. Mm. But then again, you don't want to upset him. Mm. Yeah. So we're, we're picking up on that theme, you, you tackle, as I said, some kind of bold questions here. So what, how do you understand kind of God's judgment and God's wrath mm. in mm. kind of in your thinking within mm. the book? Well, to quote another theologian, mm. Mortman, Yogan mm-hmm. uh, Mortman. So I, I, you know, as you'll know if you read the book, I'm the theologian being quoted all over the place. Jürgen Mortman this great uh, German theologian, he says that the day of the Lord is the day of celebration mm. for all of history's losers, mm. for mm. everybody who's been dumped, mm. you know, left out, forgotten. Mm. The mm. day of the Lord is the mm. day of celebration mm. because he understands, of course, that judgment is a wonderful thing. Mm. Now, I happen to live in a poor community Mm. in central Mm. London. In fact, I'm going off to a political meeting Mm. from doing this. Mm. And the poor will come. Mm. They really will. Mm. The dispossessed, the Mm. forgotten, the Mm. left out Mm. of the big Mm. developments Mm. in London, Mm. the people who still live in in houses without any lifts and there's just a stink of urine in the stairwell and all, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. They'll come to that meeting because they always do. And they're longing for someone to come and make judgment. Mm. Because judgment would be good for them. Mm. It's only the middle classes who've been on the make who don't like the judge coming around. (laughs) Those who are dispossessed long for fairness. Mm. And as to quote the Hebrew Bible, Mm. which we call the Old Testament, you know, Abraham says, "Will not the the righteous God, the 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 God of love, be just?" Mm. Mm. Yeah. So how do you how do you kind of uh, so your answer to, to to my question is that God is just, mm. and you quote Maltman there, who you know he's Maltman's a universalist. Now you, you say you're not a universalist, mm. but we'll, we'll come mm. to that in a minute. But before we come to that, I, I want to ask you a question about um, how do you understand hell and how do you portray that in your? Uh, how does it fit with your argument about mm. all those included? Are, mm. are, is everyone really included? What about the axe murderer or? Mm. Well, it seems to me to be that the New Testament teaches quite clearly that everyone is included. Now, I know that's a shocking thing to say, but um, church history didn't start just a few years before we were born. Mm. Um, In fact, of course, as you know, the great centre of theological thinking for the early church, the first theological centre, was in Egypt, Mm. um, was in Alexandria. And that theological school was um, started by Mark, so tradition has it, and I think it's a strong tradition. Mm-hmm. In fact, I've had the privilege of going to Alexandria and speaking in the theological college there and try to tell them that Mark didn't start this, and you're in a lot of trouble, as I you know. And, um, and then a guy called Clement of Alexandria mm-hmm. became the leader of the theological mm-hmm. uh, school there, and then a man called Oregon, mm-hmm. who the church historians have, have heard of, these great theologians and many, many others. Mm-hmm. And they contributed, of course, to our creed, Mm. Um, the creeds that we still um, we still use in every church, mm. etc. Most of them 
were what we you've just referred to as universalists. Mm -hmm. I don't think they were quite, mm -hmm. but they believed that mm -hmm. Christ would reconcile everyone. Mm -hmm. They didn't believe this mm -hmm. thing about eternal fire mm -hmm. um, uh, that, that, that would never end. Mm -hmm. They didn't believe that God would do that to anyone. Mm -hmm. They believed that all would be redeemed through mm -hmm. what Christ had done. Mm -hmm. All of them, mm -hmm. all of them, mm -hmm. all of them. In fact, when um, in the uh, fifth century, St. Augustine, Augustine of Hippo, you know, the bishop, a North African bishop who who's bought into Roman Catholicism, imperial Catholicism, mm. the Catholicism of the empire mm. uh, comes along. He does believe that God will punish some, mm. perhaps even most, but he even then says, what I'm suggesting is totally out of kilter with what's believed by mm. most. Mm. Mm. referring to most theologians. Mm. Mm. So he's introducing this novel idea. Now, most people wouldn't know, wouldn't know that. Mm. They wouldn't understand that. Mm. But I think it's really hard to understand Paul's writing without understanding, as he says in Romans, mm. you know, nothing can separate us from the mm. love of Christ, neither height nor depth nor principalities mm. and powers, etc. Mm. Well, he keeps saying mm. it again, so I'm cross-quoting different sure. things that he says. There is nothing in all creation... Neither, neither angels or demons, nothing mm. can ever separate us mm. from the love of Christ. Mm. As in Adam, everyone dies. Mm. So in Christ, all shall mm. live. Mm. Well, if in Adam all die, mm. you know, the whole planet, mm. every human being suffers mm. from the, the curse or how, mm. whatever people mm. would like to call it of Adam, mm. then in the same sentence, Paul says, as in Adam, all die, mm. so in Christ, all live. Well, all in the second half of the sentence can't possibly mean something different to <laughs> all in the first half of the sentence. Mm. And if it does, then it, it means that what Paul says, can any word Paul uses can mean anything he chooses to use, mean it to use, he can mean it to mean at any point. So then you you just end up with a Paul, Paul's letters. You may as well chuck in the bin because you can never tell what he means by any word because he could mean something completely different by this word in the second half of a verse than he does in the first half of the verse. So Paul says, as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, all live. Then he says, God was working in Christ, Colossians, reconciling the whole world to himself. The whole of creation mm. groans and waits mm. for its salvation. Mm. It's hard to read Paul any mm. other way. Mm. But you asked me about hell. Mm. So here's, here's a passage that, because I was taught to read the New Testament um, as a young Christian that I did read and nobody ever commented on, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, um, some build with gold and silver and precious stones. With, through their lives, and others with bricks and stubble and hay, and their works will be burnt up, consumed by fire, but they will be saved through mm. that fire, mm. the purging fire. Mm. There's he saying it again. Whereas we say, no, actually, their works will be burnt up and they will burn mm. in eternal fire mm. forever. Mm. That's completely different to mm. what Paul's saying. Mm. He's saying everyone will be saved through this purging fire. Now, the purging fire came to be purgatory in Catholic mm. doctrine. But purging is what happened on every field at mm. the end of the season. Mm. You'd burn the, the chaff off. Yeah, the stubble, yeah. The stubble yeah. off. You'd burn the stubble off to redeem the field, mm. to bring, mm. to enrich to the To bring field, life, yeah. To bring life yeah. to the field. This purging fire mm. brings life, not death. Mm. Mm. And so my thoughts around this actually all come from Catholic teaching, right. modern Catholic teaching. Mm. 
um, in fact, Pope Benedict, mm. um, you know, the retired Pope that we have, Benedict says, the purging fire is the love of God, which purges, burns away all that's stubble mm. in our lives. Mm. It purges us and renews us. Mm. Redemption mm. for all mm. through what Christ has done. Mm. So, for for you in your book, hell is not a place. It doesn't exist. It's not annihilation. No. Um, well, here's the funny thing. Do you see? It's funny. I think the funny thing is Paul gets tarred with the "well, I'm really scared of him" brush, mm. but Paul never ever mentions hell once. We have no evidence that he even knew what the word meant. He just doesn't talk about hell, which is extraordinary as our gospel has come to be, turn to Christ or you're perishing hell. It's, it's not in Paul's teaching, as you know. It's nowhere in Paul's teaching. In fact, you'll also know there's this thing called the kerygma, to use a technical term. So it, kerygma is a Greek word meaning the proclamation, yeah, preaching. the yep. preaching, the yep. proclamation. And so scholars through the years, the centuries, mm. have taken Paul's letters and the other epistles and then they've taken the sermons in Acts mm. and they've put it all together and they've tried to create a box called mm. the kerygma mm. and they say, this is the content, this mm. is the framework, this is, this is all the content mm. of the teaching of the mm. church, this mm. is what the early church taught. Mm. And the word hell isn't talked about in mm. Acts mm. either. Mm. So this word that we've suddenly got, that we're throwing everybody into, mm. isn't there mm. in the kerygma. I mean, G Jesus mentions it, doesn't he? Jesus mm. mentions Gehenna mm -hmm. and Hades. Mm -hmm. Actually, I sort of talk about all this in yeah. my book. So he mentions Hades, mm. which... Oh, this gets so you see gets uh, this is gets technical, but I can only answer your question. No, go, no, no, I think it's okay. Let's go for okay. it. Okay, in <laughs> the Old Testament, uh, there's this place called Sheol. Mm -hmm. It's the place of the dead. It's mm -hmm. the place where everyone goes, mm -hmm. however good or bad you've been, whatever mm -hmm. you've done. Mm -hmm. After death, you go you you go down into Sheol, which mm -hmm. is the place of the dead. And and there's no thought about what happens next, except that the Jews believe that God won't abandon them <laughs> because he can be trusted. Well, and he was, they were part of his covenant. Yeah. So, so and God is faithful. Yeah. So. so they knew that after death came Sheol, which mm. was a place of shades and half-life. Mm. And But hey, nothing much to be worried about because mm. God will get us through. <laughs> so the Jews had this, this understanding that after death, everybody ended up in the same place, mm. Sheol and this Hebrew term, and God will get you through somehow. When the Bible was translated from Hebrew into Greek, the Greek term that was used to replace Sheol, this waiting place, was Hades, mm. because Hades was a Greek god, yeah. brother of Zeus, yeah. who was the god of the underworld. So it just means underworld. Mm. So... Jesus talks about the underworld mm. sometimes and once actually in Acts, mm. Hades is mentioned, but it just talks, it means the place of the dead. Mm. It doesn't mean hell, it doesn't mean anything. And, and in Greek mythology, certainly early Greek mythology, you know, that, that underworld is neutral. Yes. Now there is, the Greek thought does develop, but which is what, how we end up yeah. <laughs> further down the line yeah. with an actual place. Mm. And so. so that's Hades mm. um, and the other term Jesus uses, which gets translated in some poor translations mm. as hell, is Gehenna, mm. which was this 
very famous now rubbish dump outside Jerusalem mm. that was was always rotting mm. because ones back in Israel's history had been used to sacrifice yes. children, which was yes. an appalling act of child abuse, mm. and therefore it wasn't sacred and it could only be used as a rubbish dump. Mm. And mm. so in Jesus' time, they got this rubbish dump mm. in the valley outside mm. of southwest of Jerusalem. Mm. Actually, it's still there today, mm. and um, though not as a rubbish dump anymore, mm. but it's that valley is still there. And so Jesus uses that as a metaphor. He says, mm. live this way. It's like living on Gehenna. Mm. You'll mm. end up on Gehenna. It's like it's a, you're going to end up in the worst place if you mm. live this way. Mm. But Jesus, of course, knew because he wasn't. He didn't invent this metaphor. So I think that's where it goes wrong. Mm. Everybody mm. knows that yeah, Gehenna was this place outside mm. Jerusalem, mm. but they say, oh, Jesus made it up. No, Jesus didn't. Gehenna is talked about in this way in lots of um, Jewish literature. And even back in the Old Testament where... Uh, where Gehenna is seen as this terrible rubbish dump, this awful place, there's prophecies in the Old Testament, in Joel and et cetera, et cetera, about the redemption even of Gehenna mm. in the day of mm. the Lord. Everything gets mm. redeemed. Mm. So there's what, what Jesus is talking mm. about. This valley, you live there. It's like if you live this way, it's like living on Gehenna. You're living on a rubbish dump. You're not living the best way. In the end, even Gehenna gets redeemed, mm. which everybody knew. Mm. So we touched earlier on, a, on you say that Jesus is the great reconciler, but you say you're not a universalist. So perhaps you can help us understand those, mm. how you differentiate between those two mm. terms. Well, one theologian who, who's head and shoulders above all the others, is, as you know, actually is Karl Barth. I mean, that's just not my view. Anybody can tell you that. He wrote a book with six million words in, which is some going for a start. It did take a long time. <laughs> but uh, so Karl Barth, 20th century theologian. So Barth, his great phrase on this, he says, I am not a universalist. However, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the reconciler of all. And... Uh, you know that many PhDs have been written since about whether Bart was a universalist mm. or not. Mm. And his greatest commentators, because he he himself said, this guy, he's good on me, mm. this guy, he's good on me. His greatest commentators say Bart was a universalist, though he never explicitly says it. Mm. Mm. I think they're wrong, mm. you know, however good they were. Because mm. he did say it. He mm. said, I am not a universalist. Mm. I find it very hard to translate that as I am a universalist. <laughs> he said, I am not a universalist. However, I do believe that Jesus Christ is the reconciler of all. Mm -hmm. Universalism becomes and was in Bart's day this any way up the mountain goes. Mm. You know, you can be a Christian or a Buddhist mm. or, a, you know, a Sikh or a mm. Hindu or you're an atheist, mm. any way up the mountain. Mm. If you lived a good life, mm. that's enough. Mm. That'd do you. Um, this whole thing in the metaphor that we've grown to understand that whereas Jesus was the centre of the solar system in an old kind of theology, a traditional theology, now in this many ways lead to God, Jesus becomes just one planet, mm -hmm. one way, and Buddha's another sure. way, etc., yeah. etc., all revolving round mm -hmm. God. Bart is saying, I am not a universalist. Mm -hmm. I don't believe that any way up the mountain counts. Mm -hmm. I, however, do believe that Jesus is the reconciler mm. of all. Mm. Why does he believe that? Because he's read Paul. Mm. Mm. <laughs> because he understands that it's through Jesus that everyone yeah. is counted in. Mm. Mm. And that, I believe, is the heart of Paul's teaching. So I think what you're saying is Jesus makes space for, ev for everyone. Yeah, because he redeems 
all creation. Mm-hmm. What the impact of Jesus' life is, is has cosmic dimensions mm-hmm. as well as, as global dimensions, as well as societal dimensions, as well as personal dimensions. Mm-hmm. And back to Martin Luther, of course, what Ed Sanders was saying right at the beginning was that Luther had misunderstood Paul and particularly had misunderstood a little phrase in Paul, which is used about half a dozen times and on which as much has been hung. And in Greek, the little phrase is pistis Christu. But Luther translated it as faith in Christ. Mm. So we are saved by faith in Christ. So Paul says on several occasions, talks about being saved by our faith in Christ. Mm. That's the way he translates Mm. it. But what Sanders says is that, no, actually, that Greek phrase is much better translated, you are saved by the faith of Christ or Mm. the faithfulness of Mm. Christ. Mm. It's Christ's faithfulness, what he's done in Mm. redeeming the cosmos. Through him and his faithfulness, Mm. we are saved. Mm. Luther got it wrong. Mm. Now... It's easy to argue if you are Lutheran or Calvinist, isn't it? Well, God, Ed Sanders, who's he? I'd never heard of him until now. And who is... By the way, Tom Wright would agree on that, that with um, Sanders, absolutely, and says so. But who are these Johnny-come-lately guys who've rocked up and, you know, now tell us that our the traditional understanding of the Bible's wrong? And in that case, in my book, I uh, look into this, You'd be surprised, some people, to learn that the old understanding is the same as the new understanding. Mm. And it was Luther who introduced this novel, modern Mm. way of misreading Mm. Paul. Because if you look at the great William Tyndale, who was a reformer in every sense Mm. and not a Catholic, Mm. in fact, was burnt at the Mm. stake for Mm -hmm. his translating Mm. of the Bible Mm. into the vernacular, Mm -hmm. into English. Tyndale, who speaks... Latin, Hebrew, Greek, an Oxford scholar, French, German, English, and various other Mm. languages, when he gets to Paul's phrase that Luther translates, we are saved by our faith in Christ, Mm. he cannot, as a linguist, bring himself, though he loves the Reformation, Mm. to commit this Mm. grievous crime on the Greek text, Mm. and he has to translate it, we are saved by the faith of Christ. Mm. And if that's not enough... Some people say the AV, the King James mm. version, mm. The, that's, that's <laughs> inerrant. Yeah. It's infallible. You've heard all those. Oh, uh, so, yeah, discuss, but yeah. we won't now. But. Yeah. yeah, but it's worth saying to everyone mm. who believes this, mm. read Romans mm. or Galatians mm. in the King James yeah. Bible. Yeah. We are saved by the faith of Christ. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's... Um, Richard Hayes, the New Testament scholar, pulls that point out too. Yes, you know, he wrote a whole book about yeah, it, yeah, sure. um, which is called The Faith of Christ. Yeah, The Faith of Christ, yeah. Based yeah. on on the text, yeah. these texts in Galatians. Yeah. Um, Steve, thank you for that. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Let's leave it there because I think we've got enough for this podcast and we'll come back to Jesus the Great Reconciler and explore universalism a little bit more in the next one. Great. Great.